If you were here last week, you know uh, what, a, what a great message Pastor Frank brought forth uh, last week. It was rich. It was informational. It was one of those things I pray you kind of went back to. Uh, I went back to it again after listening to it twice. Again, it was just, there was just so much there that um, I, I feel like it, because he spoke so much about the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how to pursue wisdom and how to know if we're walking in wisdom. And, and so if you've not listened to last week's message um, or you felt like you, 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 know, you don't have it memorized, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and circle there because it, again, it just, Pastor Frank, he just really, uh, he just knocked it out of the park last week. And so um, I'm gonna pick up right where Pastor Frank left off last week in verses uh, 18 through 21, Ephesians chapter five. For those who are visiting with us this morning or guests with us for the first time or just recently, we've been in the book of Ephesians since May of, um, uh, since before the summer and we've been kind of just taking it apart line by line and asking God to open the eyes of our understanding to this so we can uh, best walk out as children uh, of God. And so um, we are uh, up to chapter 5 and verse 18 through 21. And uh, the reason I'm circling back to that is not because I didn't think Pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Frank did a great job last week. He nailed it. But um, I want to circle back to it because it really uh, provides some good context for the next couple of sections that Paul is going to instruct us in. He's going to get into those passages of scripture about husbands loving your wives and wives loving your husband. And he gets into the dynamics of relationship between children and parents and parents and children and employees and employers. And, and I think before we take a deep dive into relationships, I want to kind of take a pause and look to see how verses 18 through 21 uh, really speak into that because actually those sections of scripture are are the outworking of what Paul will say in these verses of scripture that we're gonna take a look at this morning. And so, um, like, like a diamond that we kind of look at at different angles, you could see and appreciate the beauty of a diamond. We're gonna circle back and turn the diamond of verses 18 through 21 a little bit and, and see some more of the beauty that exists in that text. And so, um, if you have, have your Bible, wanna look above me, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18 through 21. Paul writes this, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I appreciate Pastor Frank's comments on being filled with the Holy Spirit last week because Paul is not suggesting that we need any more of the Holy Spirit. That is not, well, the, the reality is at conversion, we receive all of the Holy Spirit, right? At that point, we don't need, we should not be looking at the Holy Spirit like in a quantitative sense. The Holy Spirit is a person. Right? He's, he's, he's the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so in this idea of being filled with the Spirit, it's not that we get any more of the Holy Spirit, right? When, you, when I came to Christ at conversion, I received all of the Holy Spirit. But here was the problem. The Holy Spirit didn't receive all of Tony. 
Right? There's a lot still on the inside that needed to change. Right? There's, a st- there's still a lot on the inside that needs to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, by the word of God. And so the reality of it is the idea of being filled with the spirit isn't so much that we receive any more of the Holy Spirit, but instead that the Holy Spirit receives more of us to the degree that we empty ourselves of ourselves is the degree that we will be filled with and move out in the Spirit of God that already resides within us. Now let me just say this, there is is too much emphasis on what the Holy Spirit is doing outside of us today. Too many conversations, too much focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing outside of us today and not enough focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us today. And it's that that I want us to take a a moment and and look at this morning because I think that if we we realized the, 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 the impact of the new covenant that Kenny just read about this morning, Right? The reason that the, the word of God is, is the, the law of God is written on our hearts and no longer will we need others to teach us is because God the Holy Spirit comes into us at conversion and he, as Jesus said, will lead us and guide us into all truth, right? That's why we know when we're doing something wrong, right? We know that's why we know it's wrong. Because immediately we realize, whoa, that's some, something's wrong about this. Well, how do we know it's wrong? Right? It's not an issue of morality. It's an issue of the Holy Spirit of God that's in you saying, whoa, that's not consistent with your new nature. Right? They didn't have that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit of God with us so that when we're walking out our faith and then we start to resort back to things and ways and thinking and actions of the past, the Holy Spirit goes, that's not who you are anymore. And so as we are emptying ourselves of those things, we are being filled all the more by the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us today and again, I love, I love to hear what God's doing around the world. I really do. And, I, and, and I'm going to walk a, a really tight line this morning to not minimize the power and impact and influence of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, I want to make sure that the power and impact and influence of the Holy Spirit is looked at through the lens of Scripture and not by the sensationalism and emotionalism and stories of the day. Because what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us is exciting. What the Holy Spirit of God is doing inside of us is encouraging. What the Holy Spirit of God is doing inside of us is is miraculous. He is conforming us into the image of Christ. He He is changing us. He is is working on the inside of us so that the inside of us can better reflect the character of Christ. Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. He says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, look, to be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, that's so good. In order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of Christ, that you and I would be a reflection of Jesus in the world around us. The problem is I get in the way. My ways get in the way. My priorities get in the way. My self-absorption gets in the way. 
And to the degree that I empty myself of those things is the degree that the Spirit of God can freely flow through me. You see, the only way we're going to be conformed into the image of Christ is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Which means that we need to change on the inside. It means that we need to, we need to die to ourselves so that the life of Christ might be lived out in us. And you see, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. We call that sanctification, conforming us more and more to his image. It is, a, it is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and, and the way that that plays out in your life and in my life, that as you're walking out your days and, and those, those thoughts come in your heart and your mind, you realize, oh, you know, I probably shouldn't do this, right? What, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit conforming you into the image of Christ. But I said, as I said before, too many times there's more focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing outside of us and not enough focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And that comes from a misunderstanding and an overemphasis of the Holy Spirit's work in the church today. Let me just say it this way. Many Christians today have a very Old Testament understanding and expectation of the Holy Spirit. They have a view and expectation of the Holy Spirit that is consistent with the Old Testament understanding. Many conversations, much, much, much of the preaching that takes place today about God you know, pouring out his spirit by God, by you know, falling on his people, right? Much of the preaching and a lot of our worship songs today reveal a very Old Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit. I said this morning, this is a lot easier for me to preach considering the worship team that we have here. I thank God that the worship team that we have here is not up here to perform. They're not up here to entertain. They're up here because what's going on up here is an overflow of what's going on in their lives. And so I'm thankful that under Pastor Tom's leadership and, and, and just, just recognizing the, the hearts of the people that are there, I, I'm so thankful that, that what takes place is a, is a, is a sincere desire um, to, to, to honor God, to bless the people of God, but it's a result of what's going on on the inside. But I'm gonna tell you this, there's a lot of our worship today, and our worship music, that really needs to be reconsidered. I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step on some sacred cows of, of worship today. My, my guess is I'll probably offend a little bit of everybody in the room today. And, and somebody said to me, if you don't offend a little bit of everybody today, you probably didn't do your job. And so uh, I pray that I get you to think a little bit today. I pray not just you'd engage your mind, but you allow the word of God to inform you. Because at the end of the day, what I say matters not. Let's allow the word of God to inform 
us this morning. But much of the music that we see today and sing today, uh, some of our most popular worship songs that are out there today, they are nothing more than a plea for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to move upon us, to, to rest on us, to fill us, to pour himself out on us, to fill in the blank, whatever it is, you've sang it, you saw it. These are all the same biblical references that are made regarding the Holy Spirit, regarding to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as well. Much of this idea of falling on us, resting on us, filling us, these are... This is terminology that's consistent with the Old Testament. And much of our songs as we, as we sing, I, I think to myself, do, do we realize what we're singing? Do we, do we allow ourselves to pause long enough to look at the words? I mean, some of the songs, man, they're, they're phenomenal. They, they're easy to remember. You find yourself, you know, just spitting them out one after the other. It feels good. Makes my heart pound, right? But here's the problem with a lot of this. I don't know if I want to have the same engagement with the Holy Spirit under the new covenant that existed when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters before creation because that is not how God, the Holy Spirit, interacts with his people today. I ought not to be praying for God, the Holy Spirit, to fall upon me like he did in Acts chapter two when the church was birthed, when I realized that 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 is not the way the Holy Spirit operates any longer. That was the, what that was in Acts chapter two was a marking of the end of the Old Testament and an introduction of the New Testament. Now the Holy Spirit doesn't just fall on us, but he is within us. But these plea, and, and, and listen, I, 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 I get it, I, and I understand and I appreciate the, the genuine desire and passion to want to give God my all, with all of my heart, with all of my emotion. But I must be careful to make sure that my emotion and my zeal is filtered through the lens of scripture. And as I, as I read through some of the lyrics of the most popular stuff that's out there today by Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation and all that other stuff, great beat to it, love to work out to it. I mean, really, it's just kind of like, but, but I look at this stuff and it's like, it's irresponsible at best and heretical at worst. And I think to myself, do we know what we're singing? Do we know what we're singing? This idea, this repetitive, fall on us, pour on us, fill us. We, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. And then I think to myself, here's the question. Why am I going after something I already have? Why am I pleading for more of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit of God is already within me? Now, I get what many people are saying by that. What they're really saying is, I want a deeper relationship. And so I'm not marking anybody here as a heretic. But what we need to recognize is there's a biblical understanding that we must have of the Holy Spirit that's consistent with the new covenant that we're under and not consistent with the old covenant that we no longer are under. Do we ever pause long enough in a song to consider, what am I actually singing? I mean, am I really expecting tongues of fire to fall on me? 
as I'm singing, literally, like you did in Acts chapter two. Say, oh, pastor, it's semantics. No, it's setting the stage for improper theology and false expectation. And there's been so many people chasing after that, that here's the problem. They go after the experience at the expense of the word. Perhaps our longing for something that we don't have, which, if we got real honest, is usually tied to an emotional experience. Perhaps our longing for something that we don't have is keeping us from dealing with the very issues of sin, of pride, of self-centeredness, of being platformed, that keeps us from being filled by the Holy Spirit in the first place. It has always amazed me when I have set, seen people who on the outside appear so spiritual. You know them. You know them because they let you know how spiritual they are. Right? And then you find out what they did. How they left their wife. They, ru- they ruined their, their, their marriage. They, 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 they completely destroyed their integrity, their, their testimony. And you think, how in the world? They, they, they sounded so godly because they were looking at what's outside and not dealing with the stuff on the inside. The prophet Joel talks about in the last days in chapter two, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your your old men will dream dreams. And and, and Joel is prophesying about an event that is to come that was fulfilled in Acts chapter two. That's exactly what took place in Acts chapter two and it's exactly what existed in the church afterwards. You see, the danger of a wrong theology of the Holy Spirit, when I fail to realize that I already have the Holy Spirit within me, then I start looking outside of me for an emotion, for a feeling, for something that makes my heart pound. But if you don't recognize what God has already provided for you in the person of the Holy Spirit, you then run the risk of going after things that not only aren't what perhaps God may have for you, but even more importantly, you miss what God is doing in you. In you. And that's, that's, where, the, that's where the danger comes in. That's where the problem, you see, I, I, I want emotion. I mean, for anybody who knows, I'm not anti-emotion. I'm not anti-spiritual activity. I'm not anti-seeing God moving in our midst. I want to see God do amazing things, but I want to make sure that what we're seeing is viewed through the lens of Scripture. I want to make sure that it's not something I'm looking to create a happening. Because you know what? A lot of the worship scenes that we see is exactly that. Let's stir the crowd up. Let's get them going. Let's get them super excited. And it's a wonderful experience. I've enjoyed them, and so have you. But here's the problem. If it's not a result of what's going on in the inside, and it's just an expression, the same kind of expression that we might have at a a concert somewhere, if it's not what's going on in the inside, it's going to wear off before Tuesday hits your calendar. So I want the emotion. I want to be up in the clouds. But when I come down, I want my feet to land on the word of God. 
And see, the problem in the church, not this church, you're perfect. (laughs) The problem in the church is a lot of people's theology doesn't go any deeper than the latest worship song they sang. And if that's the problem, well, that is the problem. If that's the case, then you're very reliant on very unqualified people to present the truth of God's word to you. When how you feel during worship becomes the metric as to whether worship was good or not, then you've missed the very heart of worship. Worship worship will include feelings, but it is not the metric to determine whether it was good or not. Here's the metric. Did I connect with the heart of God? Did the songs of my lips flow and was it an expression of my heart on the inside? That's what we need to be focused on. I've been in church for a long time, so have you. And maybe you've heard the preacher preaching out of Isaiah 42. You know, God's going to do it. God's doing a new thing. I'm so tired of hearing about the new thing that God is gonna do. They take Isaiah chapter 42, which by the way, the new thing was the coming of Jesus to the world, the new covenant that God was gonna do, the exciting thing of God working in the midst of his people, and they tag that onto whatever they want to deem, because here's the problem, the new thing changes, it seems, different branding, new thing, time after time after time. And so if it's not, listen, our, our worship music is a reflection of our pulpits. I don't want to blame the worship leaders. I blame the ones that get up behind the pulpit and allow bad theology to be sung and celebrated. See, here's my point. Pastor, what are you so upset about? I'm not upset. I'm very happy this morning. I really am, actually. I'm joyful. I'm tired of seeing Christians burn out. I'm tired of seeing Christians get emotionally excited and fizzle out over time. I've been in the church 40 plus years and I've worshiped with so many people with such sincere hearts that are not walking with Jesus at all today. And nine times out of 10, their main source of theology was the songs that they sang because it it didn't connect with their hearts. You see, instead of pursuing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the scripture calls us to pursue the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what the New Testament teaches not that we are to pursue the outpouring of the Spirit, because we can't pursue that. That, that resides within the sovereignty of God. God's gonna do whatever God wants to do in accordance with his, he's, he's still God, right? That's why I crack up when people have these revival meetings. It, it's, now that frustrates me, right? Like, like, hey, you know what? We're gonna have a revival at seven o'clock. It's gonna end at 8.30 on, on, on Saturday night, right? And, and I just think to myself, what are you doing? We aren't, to be pour, we aren't to be pursuing an outpouring of the Spirit. We are to be pursuing an outworking of the Spirit because that's what 
this scripture calls us to do. That means dying to ourselves. That means relinquishing our rights. That means mortifying our flesh. And can I tell you, there's nothing really sexy about that. I mean, that stuff doesn't sell books. That stuff doesn't draw a crowd. Maybe that's why when Jesus still got to the core of what it means to be a disciple, people skipped town and left. After they got their loaves and fishes, after they saw the signs and wonders, they were gone. To be honest, it's easier to look for the next feeling, pursuing the next emotion, while excusing the things that are in my own heart that keep me from being filled with the Spirit. The more outward focused I am, the less I'm focusing inward at what may be getting in the way. And so Paul's call to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus, is to be filled with the Spirit in contrast to being filled with self and sinful things that are consistent with your old nature. In the same way that we shouldn't seek a repeat of the incarnation of Jesus. Imagine that. I mean, we look at the Old Testament, it talks about unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So much of the Old Testament points the finger to the one who is going to come, and then he came, right? The word was made flesh, John writes, and he dwelt among us. I don't expect Jesus to come back as a baby. You see, that, that entrance of, of Jesus into our world at the incarnation was a one and done event. In the same way that I don't expect Jesus to reintroduce himself like he did in the incarnation, I don't expect the Holy Spirit to reintroduce himself like he did in Acts chapter two, as he came upon the church. Now, following Acts, after that, we see clear teaching of the scripture that that we are to now empty ourselves of ourselves and become so filled with the spirit of God, so influenced, so informed, so instructed, so empowered by the spirit of God that the life of Christ is lived out in our lives. That's what we ought to be pursuing. That's what we see all throughout the scripture. That's radical. That's transformational. That's, that's what the New Testament is all about. Paul says this to the church of Galatia. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. That's crazy. That's radical. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's no way I can do that with holding on to my old life. Emotional, yes, but not governed by emotions. Experiential, dear God, yes but not because we're experiencing or pursuing experiences, but because we're pursuing Jesus. When I die to self, anybody like doing that, by the way? I don't like it. That's why it's called death. But when I die to myself, I empty myself of myself, and I replace that with the things of God, the character of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. And as I'm doing that, I'm filled with the Spirit. What's coming out of my life is the Spirit of God 
working out in me so that the life of Christ can be lived out in me. I'm walking in the spirit. I'm walking in love. And when I do that, I'm gonna start to experience the things as the Holy Spirit ministers to me and through me to the life of others. So I love that song we sang. Annette is saying, I'll make room for you. (laughs) Because we have to, the only way to make room for something is to get rid of something else, right? It wasn't like we're gonna set him up a table over here for a cup of coffee. Nope, I will make room for you here. Jesus, what's taking residence up in my heart? Jesus, what things in my life, what areas of pride, what areas of sin, what areas of arrogance, what areas of my life exist in my heart that are inconsistent with Jesus? You see, if I'm looking to everything outside and excited just about what's going on on the outside and I don't focus what's on the inside, I won't make room. I might get emotionally touched, but I won't walk away changed. I can hear the phone calls and the emails and the texts now. Pastor, you just... You just don't get it. Pastor, if you experienced what I experienced, you would see things differently. I don't need to experience anything to determine my theology. My theology is governed by the word of God. And you know what? My theology has allowed me to experience some incredible things. I get excited when I think about what God has done in me and through me beyond my, beyond my own capacity whatsoever. You're not looking at a man who doesn't appreciate emotion. I recognize that. I embrace that. I celebrate that. But here's the thing. I'm not driven by that. I'm willing to throw it all away regardless of how I feel about it if I don't see it in the word of God. I recognize, I rejoice the fact that, man, there have been revivals and awakenings that have happened in the United States and around the world. I thank God for that. I don't negate the fact that that's taking place, but we need to remember something, that those revivals that took place, they weren't the result of, of people pleading for the Holy Spirit to pour himself out on us. No, the Holy Spirit came upon the church in different revivals over the history of the church because the church was dead. You don't need to revive something that's thriving, right? I've studied this stuff. I'll tell you what, many of the revivals in the past, genuine, authentic, God doing incredible things, people coming to Christ, lives being changed. Afterwards, oftentimes what would follow an authentic, genuine revival would be a lot of error, a lot of false teaching, a lot of cults would come out of that. Why? Because people wanted the emotion so much that when that season of revival was over and instead of burying themselves in the word of God to really understand the heart of God, they pursued the emotion. And as they pursued the emotion, there's been a whole drama of error that's been introduced into the church. I don't, I don't, I, I, I think, listen, what's going on in China right now? What's going on in Pakistan right now? What's going on in India right now? What's going on in Iran right now? There's genuine revival. I don't know why it's not happening in America. Maybe because America will learn how to 
package it and bottle it up and sell it and write books about it and, and, and maybe ordain our first Protestant pope over it. I don't know. But I, I recognize that God is working today. But I must make sure that my understanding and my expectation of the Holy Spirit operating in my life is an overflow of what's going on in the inside. Listen how Jesus defines the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you have a couple more minutes? It's like one of those rhetorical questions. It's really, it's nothing at all. It makes, it makes it sound like I'm being sensitive at the time. Um, <laughs> listen how Jesus defines, I won't be long. Listen how Jesus defines the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm passionate about this stuff. I really am. Because you know what? This was not where I always was. I was the guy pursuing the emotion. I was the guy who went from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop to a valley that made me walk hard away from God. So I get the whole, I, I know there's a reality of the Holy Spirit working in my life. I get that. I want that so bad. I'm such a candidate for authentic, genuine revival, but I will not let go of what I see what the word of God says, and I will not accept as revival what others love to platform as revival today, and I'm tired of seeing Christian after Christian get swept away by the emotions that come with it. Listen to how Jesus defines the ministry of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. John chapter four, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's the good news of the New Testament. That's the good news of the new covenant. That's the reality that we walk in, that the Holy Spirit is not only among us, but the Holy Spirit is within us. That wasn't the way it used to be in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend upon a specific person at one time or another for a season. But now, as the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Acts chapter 2, as Christ presented himself as the only sacrifice for our sins, and the birth of the church took place, the Spirit of God, all of the Spirit of God, resides within the heart and the mind of the body of Christ today. Jesus says in John chapter 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He is the spirit of truth. He will lead us and guide us. That's why Jeremiah says that no longer will you need a man to tell you to know the Lord for you all will know me. Why? Because the spirit of Christ is in us. And when error is presented, there ought to be something in us that says, no, that's just wrong. Notice who the Holy Spirit glorifies. Not a person. Not a church. Not a movement. Not a revivalist. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. In the outworking of the Holy Spirit, in the crucified life of a believer, that empties himself of himself will always point to, to the glory of Jesus as we hide behind the cross. You see, I'm convinced when it's a move of God when I don't know who's behind it. When the names are 
diluted in the midst of Jesus, the name of Jesus. That brings us back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Why that whole rant about being filled with the Spirit. Look what he says here. Let's go back to Ephesians 5 and 18. Do not get drunk. Do not be influenced. Do not be under the control. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But in contrast to that, be filled, be influenced, be under the control of the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, heart, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at how the outworking of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, right? He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's how you ought to speak. Here's how you ought to sing, right? And he says in verse 21, here's how it looks like. He says, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked about chapters one through three highlighting our position in Christ. Chapters four, five, and six highlighting here's the outworking of our position. Now we see Paul saying, listen, be filled with the Spirit so that you can be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I said in the earlier portion of the message that that really helps provide the context for the next couple of sections that Paul will be addressing. As we approach these next few sections of Scripture, we'll see how that submission, how that filling of the Spirit impacts significant relationships in our lives, namely husband to wife, wife to husband, child to parent, parent to child, employee to employer. What's the point? Paul is pointing out that the influence of the Holy Spirit is to impact the most significant thing in our lives, our relationships. Everything in your life is surrounded and connected to a relationship. And what Paul is doing is he's highlighting, listen man, don't be influenced by the ways of the world. Don't be influenced by what you used to be. Don't be drunk with wine, don't, don't let, but be filled, be influenced, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, hey, and, and look at the, the, the way he moves there. He goes from that too, and singing songs and hymns to one another, submitting to one another. Like, what, did he just leave the building? Like, what, what is he talking about here? He's tying it all in here, how our relationships are to be influenced by how we are influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. We are about to see how the Holy Spirit will empower us to reflect Christ in the most significant relationships of our life. It's your new life in the Spirit. Because here's the thing. If I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church, then I better make room for him. If I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church, then there's some stuff on the inside that's got to go. I've got to empty myself of myself so the Spirit of God can enable me, equip me, inform me, and empower me to love her like Jesus says she's worthy of being loved. It's interesting, and I'm, and I'm wrapping up here. It's very interesting that we, we see how, how the, the flow of, of Scripture here. 
Because, we're, we're, again, we're about to see how the Holy Spirit will empower us to reflect, reflect Christ in those, those significant relationships, right? And then, not to get ahead of ourselves, we're, we're going to kind of go through the husband, wife, children, parents, you know, employee. But then right after that, he will show us, you see, he'll say, here's how the Holy Spirit is to influence your relationships, and then f- immediately following the relationships, he says, it's, make sure you're allowing the Holy Spirit to influence it because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rules of this dark world. So here's the thing. You're going to let the Holy Spirit influence those relationships, or you're going to let the spirit of hell, right? You're going to let Satan and his minions, because he's going to go into the whole area of spiritual warfare. But where does that take place? It takes place in the arena of our relationships. So sandwiched between relationships is the influence of the Holy Spirit or the influence of principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. There is no pause between there. It's a consistent flow of scripture. And so what is it? It's a call for you and I to take a look inward and not just not not just celebrate what's going on outward, but look inwardly and say, God, the Holy Spirit, what is it in me that's getting in the way so that I can, I can, I can literally allow the life of Christ to be lived out in my life in the arena of these relationships? It's incredible how Ephesians all ties together. It's one of those books that, 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 that sections get preached on, but oftentimes when you, don't, when you don't weave it all together, you can't appreciate the bigger picture of what's being said there. This is all about how our new life in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowers us to live out our new identity in the world and in our relationships, in our marriages, in our homes. And that's what we're gonna tackle next week. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that um, you allow your word to land in our hearts, not, not what I said, but the things that you've said. I pray, Lord, that each one of us have come from different backgrounds. We've experienced different things. Uh, our makeup is very different. And so, Lord, I recognize that a message like this is going to land differently on different hearts. Um, Holy Spirit, will you do what only you can do? Lord, would you, would you allow us to look at every one of our experiences, every one of our desires, every one of our expectations. And Lord, would you remind us of the importance of looking at those through the lens of your word so we'd never settle for anything less than what you have for us. Thank you for your word, for it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We give you thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.